gentlemen, it's time for the main event. Standing in this corner at six feet, three inches tall, he can build you a house with his eyes closed, crush you in a 90s karaoke battle, and he offers free Uber rides in his customized Ford Bronco, Matt Henderson. Standing in this corner at seven feet, two inches tall, He'll catch you an Alaskan salmon with his bare hands, care for you like he cares for his pet rabbit Coco, and he almost passed out while we filmed this introduction. Michael Singer! Standing in this corner at six feet four inches tall, he'll smoke you in a round of golf, outwork you in CrossFit, and snuggle you to death like he does with his tiny, fluffy doodle late at night. Troy Maxwell! Ladies and gentlemen, the pulpit is lit. Let's go! everybody my name is Troy Maxwell I'm not six foot four I wish I was kind of because it'd be terrible to travel that tall anyway hey let's let's get all our dads to stand up all of the men that are fathers come on let's give it up for all of our fathers here today isn't it great can I get the stay standing can I get the rest of the guys to stand up all the other men to stand up come on stand up future fathers in the house hey you guys stand up for a second because I wanna invite you to a special strong night that we're having on September the 8th, September the 8th. Now, if you're married or you're dating or one of these is your significant other, you need to register them today for that event. The first 100 get five raffle tickets to win one of two guns that we're giving away because we love guns here at Freedom House Church. God bless the Second Amendment. And... Uh, and then also, we are giving away a couple knives that are handmade from this company that we connected with. Um, so it's $20 to register, but you get $25 worth of raffle tickets for the first 100 that register today, today only. So make sure you register today. We're having a pork butt barbecue cook-off. So if you have skills in that arena um, we have a special guest that's gonna come and judge it. Jim Noble from Noble Smoke's gonna be here judging your pork butt along with myself. I'll be judging it. And my wife will be here because she's great at judging butts. Anyway, so <laughs> don't tell her I said that. Please, I'll get in a lot of trouble. But uh, make sure you come. It's gonna be a great night. September the 8th. I know we're, we're promoting it really early. And so uh, turn to two or three guys around. You say, I'll be there. Make sure you come or I'll kick your butt. All right. <clears throat> and since it's Father's Day, I'm gonna give you maybe two uh, dad jokes just because I love dad jokes. And if my mom is watching, um, love you, mom, because we share jokes all the time via the, the telephone. I cannot share any of the ones that she shares with me because uh, she's a little bit naughty. So anyway, what do you get when you have an angry sheep and an angry cow? Two animals in a bad mood. 
That's a good one. Do you want one more or two more? So all the ladies are like, just one, please get on with the message. How do you put a baby astronaut to sleep? Rocket. Let me do one more. Um, these two electric windmills, this is your favorite, Aaron, I know you like this one, were hanging out in the field together and one asked the other, hey, what kind of music do you like? The other responds, I'm a huge metal fan. That was a good one. For those of you all that don't know what in the world happened, um, let me just ring the bell one more time. All right, there we go. I don't know if you can tell, but today we do have a theme. We're talking about getting in the battle, getting in the fight, talking about boxing. And today I wanna talk about fighting for manhood, fighting for manhood. Now, before I get into this, I want you to hear a couple things, men, fathers, because I am gonna challenge you today, because that's my job. My job as a pastor is to really challenge you, to push you. And so I don't want you to, I don't want you to be, feel, feel any shame or guilt or blame. What I want you to do is I want you to hear this and really turn it around to be able to engage the battle that we really need to be involved in as men. There's, there, there is a battle right now for, for manhood. And, there, and there's some things worth fighting for. Our marriages are worth fighting for. And all the married men said, yes, amen, amen. It's worth fighting for. Marriage, the institution of marriage is worth fighting for. Our kids are worth fighting for. Our community is worth fighting for. Fighting for. Our, our freedom here in America is worth fighting for. Our faith is worth fighting for. The gospel of Jesus Christ is worth fighting for. Can I get an amen? You know, take anything good, anything beautiful, anything worthy. These things cannot be protected without a fight. Now, when I was a kid, I was very skinny. So I was tall and very thin, and I got picked on a lot growing up. A lot of, a lot of guys, there was this one kid named Steve in my middle school. Um, he used to just beat me up all the time. And one, one, one summer, I decided I'm not gonna allow him to do that anymore. Like, I gotta learn how to fight. So I had to learn at an early age how to be a fighter, how to actually engage. You know, I got punched, like Adam said, I got punched in the face a lot of times before I realized that you gotta punch back sometimes. And I think in regards to our spiritual battle, because that's what we're in, I'm not telling anybody to go punch anybody in the face today, um, unless it's in Jesus' name, and anyway. But anyway, um, but I, I do believe that we, we need to engage the enemy in this battle. And men, it's our responsibility to be the ones that step up first. I believe Paul, the apostle, was a fighter. He wrote this in 1 Corinthians chapter nine. He says, therefore, I do not run <clears throat> without a definite goal. I do not flail around like one beating the air, just shadow boxing. But like a boxer, I strictly discipline my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached the gospel to others, I myself will not somehow be disqualified as unfit for service. So when it comes to us and this willingness to get into the ring, Something we all struggle with, 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 not just men, but ladies, we struggle with this. And, and, and you, you deal with this. And whether you're married or you're not married, you struggle with this. So this message isn't just for men, isn't just for fathers. It's for all of us. The external battle is only won when we can deal with the internal battle. 
this fight that we have to engage in inside of ourselves. So why don't we fight? There's a hesitancy, a passivity to step into the ring, and it's not new. Passivity began in the garden, in paradise, a perfect place. God created this incredible place called the Garden of Eden. And he inserted man in it, and he said this to him. He said, the Lord placed man in the Garden of Eden to cultivate it into a garden. He said to him, you may eat the fruit of any tree in the garden, except the tree that gives knowledge of what is good and what is bad, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. You must not eat the fruit of that tree. If you do, you will die the same day. Perfect paradise. Let me think about it for a second. Perfect love. There's, there's no sin present. There, I mean, Adam is, is in a perfect environment. He's got a perfect connection with the Father, a perfect connection with God. God loves him. He loves God. He knows nothing else other than love and tenderness and intimacy and connection and faithfulness and, and, and courage. And, and so now God says, hey, you can do anything you want in this perfect paradise except there's one tree that I don't want you to eat from. And then God, you know, kind of messes up the whole thing and he creates woman. No, I'm just joking. I'm just joking. I'm just kidding. And, you know, because he needed a comparable partner, a helper, because men, we need some help. Come on. If you're married, look at your wife and just say, I need some help. I need some help because we do need help. We may not admit it, but we need help a lot. And so he creates this woman. And you know the story, Genesis chapter three, the serpent shows up. And the serpent tempts Eve. Eve takes of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but that's not where it ends. And this is where passivity enters. The Bible says that she turns and she gives the fruit to the man and he eats it right there, not saying anything to his wife. Eve doesn't say a word to him. Doesn't doesn't say, whoa, whoa, what are you doing? Doesn't stop her. God gave one command, one simple obedience. That's all he needed to do. Just, just do that one thing. And he didn't do it. He was passive. He didn't say anything to her. Now, ladies, before you get all mad at us and go, yeah, why didn't you stop us? I heard this recently that 100% of men would eat a piece of fruit offered to them by a naked woman every time. <laughs> so cut us a little bit of break. So if you're married, look at your wife and go, that's right, honey, 100% of the time. So why don't we fight? Adam's passivity was the basis for the original sin. He didn't step into the ring. Why? Why, why didn't he do it? Why don't we step in the ring? Why don't we engage, men? I don't wanna bother you. you know. I don't, wanna, I don't wanna say anything that might offend you. This is kind of what culture is pressing upon you right now. Don't, don't be silent. Maybe somebody else will step up. If I don't, maybe somebody else will step into the ring and I don't have to do it. You know, I don't have to give this energy. I, 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 don't, I, don't, wanna, I don't wanna make you upset with me. I want you to make sure you love me all the time. I'm approved by you. This is a trait that has been passed down from our father, Adam, not God. This is a result of sin because God is a warrior. He's a warrior. John Eldridge in his book, Father by God, says this, passivity, 
Listen to me very closely. Passivity and masculinity are mutually exclusive, fundamentally at odds with one another. To be a man, we must learn to live with courage, take action, and go into battle. And all the men said, yes, that's me. Come on, I, I was hoping I'd hear a little bit more. Let me read that one more time, just give you one more opportunity. To be a man, at least some ladies might say amen. To be a man, we must learn to live with courage, take action, and go into battle. Can I get an amen? Okay, so when you are passive, listen to me, men, you are not like God. God is not passive. Jesus is not passive. The Holy Spirit is not passive. God is a warrior. Just because you were born a male doesn't make you a man. There's a lot of 50-year-old boys that are walking around our planet right now. Modern-day Peter Pans, 30-year-olds living in their mother's basements, playing video games. It's time to be a man, not just a male. Can I get an amen? The measure of a man is not found in the roles we play. It's found in our willingness to go through God's process of becoming a man you do have to fight for your manhood. You have to fight for it. But listen, listen, there is a trait that has been deposited in you by God, that you are a warrior. Here's what the Bible says, whether you're eight or whether you're 80. Here's what the Bible says, Exodus chapter 15. The Lord is a warrior, the Lord is his name. Isaiah 42, 13. The Lord will march out like a champion. Like a warrior, he will stir up his zeal. With a shout, he will raise the battle cry and will triumph over his enemies. Jeremiah, Jeremiah 20, but the Lord stands beside me like a great warrior. And before him, the mighty, terrible one, they shall stumble. They cannot defeat me. They shall be shamed and thoroughly humiliated, and they shall have a stigma upon them forever. Psalms 24, who is this king of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord, mighty in battle. That's our God. That's our savior. That's the spirit of God that's living on the inside of you. You are a warrior. Come on, point at yourself. Say, I am a warrior, man. Say, I am a warrior. I am a warrior. God created you that way. Not to stand back, not to not be in the ring, but to engage the enemy, to engage our culture, to engage what's going on around. This whole message came out of a conversation that I was having with one of my mentors, one of the people that I look up to a lot. And, he, and, and really, I looked at, up to him, and I don't have a whole lot of conversations with him. Like, we don't call each other. He's not one of those guys that even talks on the telephone that often. I text him, but he never texts me back. So when I get around him, I do my best to spend time with him. His name is Pastor Tommy Barnett. He's 86 years old. His son, Luke, will be here this weekend. Luke's one of my best friends. And... Um, I was preaching for them a couple weeks ago in Phoenix, Arizona, and we went to the Cheesecake Factory afterwards, and we were just sitting around talking, and I don't know how we got in this conversation, but I look up to Tommy because, you know, he's, he's 86, and I hope that I, that I am half the man he is right now, because, I mean, at 86, he, 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 he plays 36 holes of golf in one day. He, he, is, he travels probably 25 weeks out of the year. Um, he, he loves God. The way that they've transitioned their church, he pastored his church for like 50 years. 
His son took over. It used to be Phoenix First Assembly of God. And now it's the Dream, uh, Dream City Church. They have, I think, maybe 12 locations around the country. And every time I preach, and every weekend, Pastor Tommy is sitting on the front row cheering his son along. Whenever I'm there, he's cheering me along. Every weekend, he's there. He's, he's a father. I mean, like, he's a dad's dad. And so I was talking to him because he had just recently went through a bout where he cut his leg and he almost died. And he goes, Troy, you know, I, I was almost gone. And he said it kind of haphazardly because he takes um, uh, Coumadin, I think it's a blood thinner. And they couldn't operate on his leg. It got, he got staph infection and so they couldn't operate on him because he was taking blood thinner and they couldn't take him off the blood thinner because he might have a stroke, you know. So it was kind of, and they basically, he was in the hospital for 10 days and then right after he left, uh, they, they told him, they said, listen, you just gotta go home and if you die, you die. If God heals you, God heals you. And God healed him. I mean, completely healed. He's like, it's a miracle, Troy, that I'm still here. And he goes, you know, because all of my contemporaries are dead. All of the spiritual giants that have basically framed the faith that you and I sit in today are not alive except Tommy Barnett and maybe a handful of other people. Jack Hayford's dead. Pat Robertson is dead. Um, Charles Stanley is dead, among others. And now, we, you might not agree with their theology, but the church that we are a part of, the faith that we are a part of, has been shaped by those people. And so I wondered, well, who, am I, who are young men supposed to look up to now? And I posed that question to Pastor Michael and Pastor Matt, who are preaching at the other campuses today, and we had a hard time answering that question. And I was like, this is a problem. This is a problem. Now, I know some of you have, have had great fathers in your life that you can look up to. And I know many of you are phenomenal fathers that your kids look up to. But I think that there is a definite deficiency in the area of not just biological father, but spiritual father. And there is a desire for young men and young women to have someone to look up to, to follow, to emulate. I've been very blessed to have my, one of my spiritual fathers, Pastor Dennis Rouse, who I've looked up to, who's helped me, who's smacked me around when I needed to be smacked around, who's helped me you know, kind of grow in my faith. My dad was not in my life, but my grandfather kind of took his place and helped me. He wasn't the most, he didn't give me hugs every day. Um, he did show me how to pee outside. <laughs> I remember that day just like it was yesterday. It was awesome. He showed me how to change the oil in the car, told me how to put new tires on a car. He told me all, all, all things outside, how to cut the grass, how to get the right lines, you know, all those, you know, kind of things that I consider kind of manly, you know. Pastor Gerald Brooks, John Maxwell, all these guys have been, whether in my life or outside of my life, somebody to emulate. I hope one day that I could be one of those fathers, spiritually and biologically, that my kids would look up to me and be able to emulate my life. That's my goal. When I'm like Tommy Barnett, you know, 86, 87 years old, my desire is to be on the front row shouting my spiritual sons and daughters along. That's what I wanna do. I can't wait to do that. I'm thankful that we have the Bible 
We may not have many in real life, but we have a book full of men that we can follow, that we can look at. I like to call these men or traits that every man needs to have corner men. Now, if you don't know what a corner man is, a corner man is somebody who's in your corner. (laughs) As a boxer, I think it's three minutes that you fight and then you get a minute rest. That minute rest is when you go back into your corner and there your corner man is there to cheer you on. Come on, champ. You made it through another round. Hey, champ, I just want you to know he's dropping his left hand when he throws that right. You can, you can sneak one in. Hey, champ, he, he's, he's got his hands too high. You've got some body shots. Hey, champ, I know you're bleeding right now, but I'm gonna fix that up so you can hit another right. Hey, champ, I'm, I'm telling you, you're the best. You're the greatest. Hey, champ, I just wanna let you know that we're standing here in your corner. We're here for you. We'll be here after this, after this battle. Just come back and I'll be sitting right here for you. Hey, champ. You're you're the champion. You're gonna make it through another round. You're gonna fight stronger. Hey, champ, that's what corner men are there for. We all need corner men. I think these three men that I'm gonna talk about today possess traits that are important for us to work out in our life to stay in the fight. And since it's Father's Day, I thought we'd look through the lens of our father, God. He introduces himself in the Old Testament as a father. And he says to Moses in Exodus chapter three, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. So God says, look, I'm a father, And I want you to think about that in relationship to your father Abraham, to your father Isaac, and your father Jacob. These three men possess three qualities that must be in every man's corner. Three qualities. And God uses fatherhood to deposit them. Abraham shows us identity, answering the question, who am I? Isaac shows us trust, answering the question, what do I believe? Jacob shows us purpose, Answering the question, what is my mission? These are three important questions that every man in this room, every man that's watching me online must answer in their life. Who am I? What do I believe? And what is my mission? And it's all within the scriptures. It's all found in these three men, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So Abraham teaches us identity. All the men said identity. Come on, say it. Identity quick story of Abram. His name wasn't Abraham. Originally, his name was Abram. God showed up to him and speaks to him and tells him he has a future for him. And immediately he says, I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to do this in you. In other words, I'm depositing something in you. Like, Abram, you don't believe it, but I do. You know, man, that's the way God thinks about you. You may not believe it, but he does. And that's good. And when you get to that place where you can identify in God before you identify in the car you drive, in the house that you have, in the money that you make, in the career that you've accomplished, in the success that you have, that's when you really have a strong identity. Abraham, like us, had many issues. He lied a bunch. I mean, he made some mistakes. He wasn't perfect. Matter of fact, all these guys in the scriptures were not perfect. We can learn from their mistakes. In our culture, identity is one of the most controversial things right now in the world. I believe it's in the hand of men to establish that identity. It's our job, men, 
to establish that in our culture. That's what our kids are looking at. That's what our leaders are looking for, is who am I? Our leadership in the family, our faith in the church, our authority in culture, it's all found in who I am. Sadly, we have weak examples, metrosexual, wussified, weak, apologizing men who are trying to create identity by their feelings and feelings alone. We got men trying to be women and women trying to be men. It's jacked up. I think women are trying to be men because there's a vacuum and men, we need to step into that vacuum and I think women will stop trying to be like us, trying to be us. I thought I'd get a little bit more claps than that, but that's okay, that's all right. I'll amen myself. Come on, Pastor Troy, you can do this. You don't find your identity by your feelings because your feelings change in the moment. You find your identity through your faith in God, and God has already said it. In Genesis 17, God is making it plain to Abram. He says, when Abram was 99 years old, he had already retired. He had a house in Destin, Florida. He was living off his 401k, Social Security. And the Lord appeared to Abram on the 12th hole. Because <laughs> he was playing golf. I mean, you're retired. What are you going to do? Play golf. That's what my retirement looks like. And said to him, I am almighty God. Walk before me and be blameless. Verse two, and I will make my covenant between me and you and will multiply you exceedingly. Okay, time out, God. It's the 12th hole. I just made a bogey and I'm 99. I can't have any babies. Then Abram fell on his face and God talked with him saying, as for me, behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be a father of many nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be, what does it say? Abraham. For I have made you a father of many nations. Now, can you imagine for a second? Just put yourself in Abraham's sandals for a second. Let's say that you went back to your, to your house. God's just told you your name is no longer Abram, it's Abraham. And so somebody calls out to you in your household and says, hey, hey Abram. He goes, no, no, stop. That's not my name anymore. My name's Abraham. What? Abraham? You know what Abraham means? Abraham means father of many nations. Abraham, Abram, you don't have any kids. Yeah, but God said I am. You can imagine it. The servant's like, you're right. You're 99, bro. Like, what's up? I mean, look at your wife. No offense. But she ain't 35 either. Like, how do you think this is gonna work? Just call me Abraham. Don't stop calling me Abraham because that's who I am. Don't quit calling me father of many nations because I will be because God said I am. God made a promise to me. We made a covenant together. And so I'm going to have some babies. I don't know how it's gonna work. Sarah's probably gonna laugh about it when I tell her, but my name's no longer Abram on our checks, it's gonna have to be changed to Abraham on the checks. I'm gonna quit, have to quit signing my name, Abram. It's have to be Abraham. And they may laugh at me at the bank, but I'm the father of many nations. That's how you know when God tells you. 
See, the first step in the fight of manhood is who am I? Let me tell you what God says about you, men. You are a leader. You are a protector. You are a warrior. You are the head of the household. You are responsible. You are accountable. You are anointed. You are graced. You are favored. You are blessed. You are full of faith and you have authority. That's what God says about you. That's your identity. So Abraham teaches us who I am. Isaac teaches us trust. What do I believe? That's what Isaac can teach us. And it all started with Abraham telling him a story. Imagine, imagine you're, you know, you're Abraham. You're about 114, 115. You had a baby. His name's Isaac. Y'all fishing. And, you know, Isaac is probably wondering. And Abraham responds to him wondering, hey, Isaac's sweetheart, I know you've been wondering why all your friends' dads are younger than me. They're in their 40s and I'm 114. Advantages, we get to park in the handicapped spot up close. I know I've got a, a, a walker, but hey, listen, you know, I'm, I'm hanging on. And Isaac says, yeah, I've actually been wondering why you're so old and all of my friends' dads are younger. What, what's, what's this about? And he goes, well, God spoke to me. Matter of fact, he talked to me over and over. I finally got it. It took me a little while. And he spoke to your mom too. That's why your name is Isaac because when I told her about it and God told her about it, she laughed and said, your name is Laugh, Isaac. That's what his name means. Because it's kind of funny to think about I'm 99, she was 96, <laughs> and we had a baby. But that's how much you can trust God is that no matter what he says, you can always believe it. You can always trust it. Let me ask you, men, are you a man of your word? Do you have, do you have integrity? Because if that's a struggle for you, when you put your trust in God and have an unwavering faith in God, you will become a man of integrity. Abram was known, Abraham was known as a liar. But because of the covenant that he had with God and the trust that he put in the promise of God, he became, became the father of faith, which he birthed in Isaac. Man, this is good stuff. And this was solidified in Genesis chapter 22 when Isaac and Abraham were commanded to go to Mount Moriah. And it says, Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, my father, and he said, here I am, son. And then he said, look, I've got the fire and I've got the wood, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, my son, God will always provide for himself a lamb for a burnt offering because God had told Abraham, listen, you gotta take your son and sacrifice him and kill him for me. And Abraham didn't tell his son about that part of it. But, but Isaac understood. Now, a lot of people will say, well, he was really young at this time. Well, Josephus, one of the writers of, of you know, 2,000 years ago, believed that Isaac would, was in his 20s when this happened. Most Jewish rabbis would say that he was 37 years old when this happened. A lot of Jewish tradition says that he was around 33 because this is a type of Jesus. Isaac was a type of Christ. 
that was supposed to be our sacrifice. Are you following what I'm talking about? So understand, Abraham was, was, in, his late, was in his mid-hundreds. Isaac could have easily whooped him and said, I ain't dying. But he trusted God because he could trust his father. Abraham had to believe that God would raise Isaac back from the dead. Isaac had to believe that dad heard from God. That's what it means to, ha to have a trust, an un unwavering belief that God is true. That's what truth is. Now, how many breakfast fans do I have here? Raise your hand if you like breakfast. I love breakfast. There's nothing better. My wife made me this morning. She made me eggs and um, sausage for breakfast. I'm an eggs and bacon guy. I love eggs and bacon. Love eggs and bacon. Nothing better than good, I can't eat eggs fried, sorry, or over easy or over hard. I like them scrambled. Nothing better than a good pile of scrambled eggs and a, two or three slabs of bacon. Love it. I, back, I have bacon in my green room. That's what they make for me in between services. I have coffee and bacon. True story. Eggs and bacon are a lot like belief and trust. Because when it comes to breakfast, eggs are a contribution of the chicken. That's what it means to believe. You're just contributing. But trust or faith is like bacon because the pig is fully committed to the breakfast. Are you following me? Beliefs like a chicken, I'm just contributing. But trust, faith, is like a pig. Look at your neighbor, say, I wanna be a pig, I wanna be a pig. In my faith, say, in my faith, in my faith. I like eggs, but I love bacon. Believing is like the chicken, he contributes. Trust and faith is like the pig. Look at your other neighbor, say, you look, no, don't say that, don't say that to him. Let me tell you a story. Some years ago, a group of scientists and botanists were exploring the remote regions of the Alps. <laughs> and one day they noticed in their binoculars, they saw this flower that they wanted, this rare flower, but it was on the edge of this cliff that they couldn't get to. Well, as they were looking at it, this little boy comes up. And they, this little boy's looking, hey, what are y'all looking at? And he goes, we're looking at that flower over there. Do you think you can go get that flower? And it was all the way down this cliff. And he looked over the edge and he's like... Hmm, that looks, that's pretty tough right there. And he goes, hey, give me a second, I'll be right back. And he leaves, he's gone for about an hour and he comes back and he's got this gray-haired man with him. And he says, I've decided that I'll do it, but he's gonna hold the rope. And they said, well, who is he? That's my dad, because I trust him. That's what Isaac did. I trust my dad. When you have a conviction in a trust in God, you won't waver. You won't ever quit. You won't ever give up on your marriage. You won't ever give up on your finances. See, a, a real trust, a real faith is one that lasts through the storms. That's how you can tell if somebody has a real strong faith. They can get through some stuff. They can get through their kids acting stupid. They can get through bankruptcy. They can get through a failed business. They can get through a failed marriage. They can get through another failed relationship. They can get through a tough time at church. That, that's how you know somebody's got a really strong faith is that they can last through the storm and still believe that God loves them, still believe that God's faithful, still believe that God's in their corner, still believe that God's their father. Come on, man. 
That's what, that's what faith is. I like Pastor James. He kind of makes fun of us a little bit. He says, you believe that there is one God. You do well. Even the demons believe. <laughs> He's being a little sarcastic because he goes in to say, you want, you, want, you want to prove that you believe? Show me. Don't just talk about it. Show me. Show, show me that you're getting in the ring. You're actually doing something with your faith. Don't, don't sit on the sidelines and go, yes, amen, praise the Lord. No, you better get some action behind it because that's what real faith is. Pastor Troy, you are on fire today. I wish I could get an amen in this Presbyterian church. Abraham teaches us identity. Isaac teaches us trust. Jacob had purpose. It's because Abraham had identity. It's because Isaac had trust that Jacob had purpose. Now, I know he was a trickster. I mean, that was his name, trickster. How did he get that name? When Esau, his brother, was born, he reached out with his hand, tried to pull Esau back, said, I want to be first. That's what he did. Read the Bible. It's awesome. He was, he was such a trickster. One day, his, Esau, his brother, came back from hunting, and, and Jacob was a good cook. He went to Queens Culinary School right here in Charlotte, and, and he knew how to cook really good. Read a couple of Penny's books and just knew what he was talking about, keto and southern cooking. Pick one up in the, in the, in the bookstore right after service today, only $25.99. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> He made a pot of soup and said, hey, you give me your birthright, I'll give you this soup. Esau said, man, I'm hungry. I'll take the soup. Okay, good, I got your birthright. He tricked his dad. You know why Jacob did all this? Because he was a man on a mission. He understood mission. Although he was pointed in the wrong way, he understood what mission was. Why? Because his granddad knew who he was and his dad had a trust and faith in God. You understand the process? You understand the lineage? You see, you see, Men, the impact that you can have in someone's life, in someone's faith, in someone's identity, when you know who you are, when you know that they can trust you and that you have a mission from God, you see what you can do in your kids' lives? You can see what you can do around the people that, that, that follow you and look at you when, they know, when you know who you are, when, when you know what you can believe and when you know your mission. Jacob finally got to the point where he kind of met God in his twisted and trickster mission, and he had a wrestling match with God, which we all get to at some point in our life. I had mine when I was in my 20s. Maybe today you're in the middle of yours. I don't know. But Jacob had one of those moments where he met God face to face. It says, when Jacob was left alone, a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. And now when he saw, when God saw this angel of the Lord, this triophany, Jesus pre-incarnate was wrestling with Jacob. He saw that he could not get out of the hold of Jacob. He touched the socket of his hip and the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled with him. So Jacob kept wrestling in the midst of the pain because he understood the process. Because God's process will lead to God's purpose. God's process will always lead to God's purpose. God's process will always lead to God's purpose. Let me say it one more time. God's process will always lead to God's purpose. Don't get out of God's process. Don't quit God's process. Don't, 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 don't 
abort God's process. Don't quit God's process, men, because it will always lead to God's purpose. And so because of the legacy of identity and because of the legacy of trust, Jacob found himself having 12 kids. <laughs> and at one point, he's standing in front of the most powerful man on the planet, Pharaoh, and he blesses Pharaoh. And what he had no idea, that was his mission. His name was changed to Israel. He became Israel, which is why we sit here today. It's because of his faith, because of his identity, because of his mission. David Goggins um, says, the warrior is a guy, I love this quote, a warrior is a guy that goes, I'm here again today, I'll be here tomorrow and the next day. And I'll just add, and the next day, and the next day, and the next day. In other words, I'm not gonna quit. I'm just gonna keep doing what God told me to do yesterday, and I'll wake up tomorrow, and I'll do what God told me until he tells me to do something different. So you wanna know what God's mission is for your life? What did he tell you to do yesterday? Do it today until he tells you to do something different. Then you change and you keep doing that until he tells you to do something different. Let me tell you what your mission is not. Your mission doesn't just surround making a lot of money. Your mission isn't just about having a big business or another big house or another great car or the fastest car. No, our mission will always be God's mission which is three things. Write these three things if you're struggling with mission. Here are the three things, men, that God's mission, and if you have his mission, he'll give you your mission. You do his, he'll give you one. It involves three things. Number one, it will always involve eternity. That means God's mission will always involve populating heaven and depopulating hell. Always. So look at me, men. If you're gonna make a lot of money, Make sure it's to build God's kingdom, not yours. Hello. If you're gonna have a successful business, make sure that that business is depopulating hell and building heaven. You can make as much, make billions of dollars, but make sure that a bunch of it is going to help draw people into the kingdom of God, not build your kingdom. Secondly, it will always involve people. So God's mission and your mission will always involve people. So if your mission is just about you, it's not God's mission. No, no, no. It will always involve other people. It will always involve helping other people. Your obedience to God's mission is God's help to someone who is needing your obedience. So just, just, just you coming to church today, Obeying God and the simplicity of sitting in church today is having an impact in somebody else's life around you. Because it wouldn't be the same without you. And thirdly, what, what is God's mission? What is my mission? It will always involve sacrifice. In other words, it's gonna hurt a little bit because that's what sacrifice does. It's painful, you know? You gotta give up something just like Abraham did, just like Isaac did, just like Jacob did. They had to give up something. 
In other words, when you're on God's mission, you have a little bit of a limp. You know? Imagine having that conversation. Jacob, why are you limping? I got in a fight with God and lost. But in my losing, I got a mission. I'm hurting, man. But God is helping me. Some of you in this room, you got a limp, right? I got a limp. (laughs) I may not show it on the outside, but on the inside, there's some hurt in there because I had to sacrifice in order to fulfill God's mission in my life. So I wanna ask you, men, if you know that you are not in the ring and you need to get in the ring, I want you to stand up on your feet right now. If you know I'm not in the ring, but I need to get in the ring right now, I want you to stand up on your feet right now. Stand up. Come on, that's you. Say, I need to get in the ring. I know I haven't been in the ring. I wanna stand up and I'm I'm gonna get in this battle today. I want you to stand up on your feet right now. Come on, let's give them a hand. Let's encourage them. Let's encourage them. Come on, there's a few more. You need to stand up. Look, I'm just pushing you a little bit as a pastor. As your pastor, let me push you a little bit. Come on, keep clapping, church. Keep clapping. There's a couple more men that need to stand up. You've been fighting for your manhood. Yeah. Come on. Yep. Keep clapping, keep clapping. There's a couple more. You need to stand up. I'm gonna get in this fight. I'm gonna fight for my marriage. I'm gonna fight for my future. I'm gonna fight for my community. I'm gonna fight for my country. I'm gonna fight for my friends. I'm gonna fight for my church. I'm gonna fight for some faith. I'm gonna fight for my freedom. I'm gonna stand up. For those of you that are you're in the ring and you know you're fighting, I want you to stand up on your feet right now. Come on, stand up alongside them so they know. Come on, keep clapping, keep clapping. Keep clapping. Come on, keep clapping. Now, if you're ready to support some of these guys, I want you to stand up on your feet and we're gonna praise God together. Come on, will the rest of you stand up on your feet because I know you're surrounding them. Lift your hands up to heaven. I wanna pray a blessing over you today on Father's Day. I hope, my my prayer is that, that, oh Lord, that you would not walk out of here shamed, blamed, or guilted, but that you would walk out of here knowing that God has called you, appointed you, anointed you to step into the ring, to fight for your manhood. You are a man, you are a warrior. You are not meant to sit on the sidelines. You are not meant to sit beside the ring, but to put the gloves on and start fighting the enemy for those that can't. We got a lot of things going on in our culture right now. That, that we need you to be engaged in. And yes, you're gonna lose some friends. Yes, you might lose some money. You might lose some customers. But I'm gonna tell you right now, it's worth every dollar, every relationship to know that you are on the side of God. So who am I? You are a protector. You're a warrior. You're anointed, you are grace-filled. You're a man of God. What do you believe? I believe that Jesus is the son of the living God. And what's my mission? It's to fill heaven up. 
My mission is to help people. My mission is to fight through this pain in Jesus' name. Father, I pray, God, a blessing over every man today, every father today. God, let this be a Father's Day we'll never forget that, Lord, you are always in our corner. You've given us an identity. You've given us something to believe. And, and God, you've given us a mission. And so, Father, I pray that that is deposited in every man today that you would do something significant in their life, God. They would never be the same again in Jesus' name. God, I thank you that that warrior spirit is risen up inside of them. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Every hand lifted. Let's just sing this song out. I run to.